Nearly a decade ago, I found myself filling the hours by listening to podcasts while my husband, Brooks, was training with the U.S. Army. Walking the streets of our Army post, I dreamt of creating something for women that bridged that gap between sermon audio and small talk. It was on the floor of my tiny closet on post that that very dream, the Dream for the Journey Women podcast, came to fruition in June of 2017. And today, by God's grace, Journey Women is now a not-for-profit ministry with the aim of moving women to know and love God more. Our monthly and one-time givers help make our mission possible. If you'd like to support the work that we do, you can make a tax-deductible donation by visiting journeywomen.org forward slash give. Thank you for investing in the work of Journey Women. Welcome to the Journey Women Podcast. I'm your host, Hunter Belis. Life's a journey we were never meant to walk alone. We all need friends along the way. On the Journey Women Podcast, we'll chat with mentors about gracefully navigating the seasons and challenges we face on our journeys to glorify God. On today's episode of the Journey Women Podcast, I chatted with Ruth Joe Simons about freedom from a self-focused life. The heart of what Ruth and I discuss is how gazing at the beauty of the gospel draws our eyes to Christ, enabling us to walk in the freedom of self-forgetfulness. Listen to what she said. I was created for a purpose. Sin cast me far from being able to fulfill that purpose. And because of Christ, because of the blood of Jesus, I've been redeemed and in sanctification made more in His likeness so that I can return to the original purpose that he created me for to bring glory to him. Phew, it is good stuff, y'all. One of my favorite things about Ruth Simons is how she makes gospel applications to everyday life. So you'll know her a little better. Ruth Jo Simons is a best-selling author, entrepreneur, and speaker. She shares her journey of God's grace intersecting daily life with word and paintbrush through gracelace.com and on her Instagram account. Ruth and her husband, Troy, are grateful parents to six boys, their greatest adventure. And she's also the author of Beholding and Becoming, The Art of Everyday Worship, as well as Grace Laced, which won a 2018 Christian Book Award. Now, on to my conversation with Ruth Joe Simons on the topic of the freedom of self-forgetfulness. Ruth, welcome back to the Journey Women podcast. This is your second time on the show, and it's a joy to get to have you back. Thanks so much for having me. I love being here. Yeah, I just got my hands on your new book, Beholding and Becoming, The Art of Everyday Worship. And I sent you a personal DM on Instagram after having read the entirety of the book and just said, wow, I did not know you could continue producing such beautiful, creative, wonderful, truth-filled content, but you did. By God's grace, I know it is absolutely beautiful. And I'm excited to have you on the show and just kind of chat about some of the thoughts and ideas that you shared in that book in our own little way here at Journey Women. So uh, it's a gift to get to talk to you. Thank you. I love being here and, and sharing with your audience. So for those who don't know who you are, which I, I can't conceptualize them knowing about Journey Women and not knowing about Grace Laced, could you tell us just a little bit about your business and then also about your wonderful, beautiful family who I love getting glimpses of on Instagram? Oh, thanks. Yeah. I'm Ruth Jo Simons. I am a mom to six boys. My oldest is 17. My youngest is six. And um, I'm married to Troy, who we've been married for almost 21 years. Now for next week is our anniversary. And uh, he formerly was a pastor, a preaching pastor, and also a headmaster of a classical Christian school. So in different seasons of our lives, we've gotten to minister and 
and serve in our communities in other ways. But right now we are full-time with Grace Laced. GraceLaced.com is a website I started um, 12 years ago, first as a blog where I just laid out my heart about how God's grace intersects with our daily lives. So it's always been ministry-minded, now supported through the arm of um, a business where I get to uh, sell artwork that adorns the gospel and provide products and resources that ultimately just direct our gaze towards beauty every day in our everyday lives. And um, so I'm grateful to share on Instagram. I'm grateful that at this point in my life, I've gotten to um, write a few books and that's been a dream come true. One that I don't hold lightly. I feel like it's um, quite a a special thing to be able to speak into this generation. And so my desire through Grace Lace and through my social media and through whatever I'm doing is ultimately to um, direct our eyes and our hearts and our affections to the worship of Christ. And so I know that's the same with you here. So I'm, I love being here. Yes, I always know that everything that you put out is going to be laced with grace, not to be super cheesy, but like there's sometimes, Ruth, that I just feel heavy and uh, there's moments as a mom, especially now to a young like little person. I've got three now. I know you know. There's just moments where I'm like grasping and I'm like, oh, I would love for somebody to speak truth into my life right now in this season. And then I remember, oh, I can go to Ruth's Instagram and you do that. You literally do that every day for women all over the world. My self-included. And it's always just a breath of fresh air. And I'm super thankful. And I know your heart really is to point us to Jesus. So what does it mean to behold? And how does the way we direct our eyes and our minds and our hearts and our hands in the everyday affect Mm -hmm. who we become? Yeah. Well, you know, I just feel like we are currently in a in a time and part of our culture where we have so much to look at. Like every day, you have endless images. If you just pick up your phone, you just have so much that directs your attention. I mean, you turn on the TV and Netflix gives you endless, endless possibilities and your social media platforms give you endless possibilities. But I really think that we've lost the art of beholding and beholding really is to not just see something, but to really admire and come up before something and really say, I want to be shaped by the experience of um, directing my my affections, my awe, my attention. That's what beholding really is about. And no, it's not something that we only can do towards Christ, but though I'm making the argument that we must behold Christ to be transformed by him. But um, ultimately, we can behold lots of things in our lives. And in doing so, we're shaped by those things. So whether it's we're beholding what is coming at us through social media all day long, if that is what consumes us every day, our eyes, which ultimately turn to the direction of our affections, then over and over, we will find that that image and that giving our heart's attention to that will change the way we think, will change the way we um, act, and ultimately shape our becoming. So that's really the basis of where my heart's at with Beholding and Becoming. Um, The idea of the art of everyday worship is ultimately that we are not worshiping only when we step foot into that sanctuary or when we go on a mission trip and we're in a faraway land. Those are the places that we think, oh, I'm going to meet with the Lord when I am at a worship service, when I'm listening to an amazing worship set played by amazing musicians. No, He is in pursuit of us and sanctification happens every single day in the most ordinary moments. And we are losing out when we're only waiting to meet with Him at extravagant 
big, boisterous moments of our lives rather than the everyday moments in which we're being transformed by the way we see and perceive in our everyday Hmm. Yes, I love it. I think it's Hoser that says, like, don't separate the secular from the sacred. And that's really the heart behind this series on living in light of redemption. Like, how does redemption apply to these nitty gritty areas of our life that we so often like detach um, the reality and the truth of the gospel from? And so that's what I want to encourage women towards as well is like what it looks like to live in light of what Christ has done for us. And so often I see myself faltering in this area just by simply self-introspection and navel gazing and really, (laughs) and I think like you're mentioning, we have a culture that really promotes that, right? Like we're just like curating every little nook and cranny of our lives. And even as a believer, I can feel that pressure of just wanting to do things right and wanting to get it right Right. and wanting to be perceived a certain way because I want to self-protect. And man, I just turn in on myself and my self-esteem and and all of that. And even my, my identity, I really begin to find my identity in things that are not biblical, <laughs> that, that are right, not who right. God says that I am. So how does our self-esteem mirror how we esteem God and who He is? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think it really betrays how we think about ourselves or the amount of time we dedicate to thinking about ourselves really betrays what we believe about our position before God, right? If we see ourselves as image bearers and ones who, if sanctification is the conforming us to the likeness of Christ, then if we see that rightly, then we know that my job today is not to create in myself the image of who I want to be, but to allow myself to be transformed by His conforming me to His image. And so I think it does transform the way we think. Does that mean I look in the mirror and think of myself rightly all the time? No, none of us do. We we complain about our thighs. We complain about our skin. We don't <laughs> like the way. Sometimes we complain about our own our own habits and our own, you know, sometimes I come leave, leave a party and go, why am I like that, right? We say those kinds of things. But even that, in that self-awareness, um, sometimes reflects and betrays the way we think about where we will find our security and comfort. Because if we leave a party and we go, oh, I so wish my personality wasn't like that, sometimes that's more about how much we want to secure our own fanfare, our own charm, how much we want other people to like me. But if we're image bearers, being conformed to His image to bring Him glory, then that issue of self-esteem gets a back seat because you go, was God glorified at that party, right? The question is less about, did everybody like me? But rather, was God glorified in the things that I said? And if, and as a believer, usually you stop and say, Lord, I'm a work in progress. Next mm-hmm. time when I brought in that situation, would you just help me hold my tongue? Would you just help me to um, be a little bit more um glorifying to you in all that I say or do or don't say and don't do. And so, no, we don't get it right ever. But, you know, one thing I was thinking about um, as I'm thinking about these ladies that we're talking to here on this podcast, I think about how easy it is for us to point our finger to, let's say, so point our fingers at social media and the people who are, you know, faking a staged, uh, beautiful living room or are doing these glamour shots of themselves, or or we think, wow, it's, we live in a curated, um, self-obsessed time. Like we can point our fingers towards to that, but don't you think that as 
soundly theological, orthodox, godly believers who want to love the Word of God. Sometimes we have our own version of that kind of um, self-obsession and even idolatry and being a little too self-aware. Sometimes that looks more like, I want to be perfectly theologically correct here. I don't want to sound dumb. I want to say all the right words. So rather than being somebody who simply says, Lord, I just want to know you, we get really fanatical about ooh, I want to say the right thing. So we go and read a bunch of things and try to spew and spout words that sound like the people we admire. Well, honestly, just, you know, if we're going to be real vulnerable here, isn't that really just the same as putting on a fancy outfit to try to look like somebody you want to be? I'm so guilty of it too. Like you're speaking to me. (laughs) By God's grace, I feel like he never lets me get beyond that, Ruth. And that's why so often I just find myself in here weeping in the closet. Like, but in his kindness, he will not allow me to like continue in that behavior because you're right. It is a sin. It's totally reminiscent of the Pharisees. Yes. And I, and I just mentioned that because I struggle, right? I came through a time when, man, I just wanted to get everything nailed down theologically and wanted to be always on the right side of the argument when really the Lord's like, be more concerned about knowing my heart uh, than yes. knowing the rules, right? Be more concerned about giving me your heart than rather giving me a bunch of offerings that look like I line myself up right theologically. And so I'm just saying that to this audience because I know that we've got women here who really care about the right things, and that's a an awesome thing. So like, I just feel like this is an audience where I trust, Hunter, that your audience wants to study the Word of God. They want to know deep truths, and they want to not be filled up with fluff. But mm-hmm. at the same time, the enemy is so good at like just really slowing us down by putting our eyes on ourselves and making that study and making that progress really about us and what it looks like before other people we admire. And let's not be caught in that. Mm. Well, you know, I take it personally. My roommate in college, she used to always say when we would see like a beautiful sunset or when we would see like a a rainbow in the sky, she would be like, take it personally. Like this is like from the Mm. Lord. And I take this personally. It's in a good, loving, rebuking kind of way because this is exactly the struggle that I'm facing in my 31-year-old self. And so I'm just going to air it. That's it. That's that's totally me. You're talking to me. And I think the Spirit laid that on your heart because that's exactly my struggle. Well, I obviously am preaching to myself because I, <laughs> I'm i in my 40s now, and that was the struggle in my 30s. So girl, I, I'm saying that because I know exactly where, um, where the ladies coming up right behind me, what they're facing. Yeah, I don't want to do that, Ruth. I don't. I want to walk in repentance and I want to walk in faith. So how does fixing my eyes on God, uh, Mm -hmm. like shift my perspective? Like, how can I do that? Even when it's like I get my eyes on myself in a way that seems really noble like this, where you're like, oh, I want to get this right theologically. Like, how does fixing my eyes on God help shift my perspective? Well, throughout scripture, we can see that God's in the business of showing us how much bigger he is than we could ever conceive, right? And so ultimately, we are made for awe, and he is so awe-inspiring, so worthy of worship. And I think when we start thinking that we can box up all our theological ideas and our hermeneutic and like put it in a box and go, I nailed it, I figured it out, that's when we don't have a posture of humility. That's when we're thinking that, Of course he's knowable, but he's knowable in an infinite way, in a way where we cannot even understand the depths of who he, we can only touch the surface. And so I think the art of beholding ultimately 
is putting ourselves in a place where we constantly say, God, you are far greater, far more majestic, far more worthy than anything I could ever find grand and wonderful and conceive of myself and far better than any good works that I produce. And so if we constantly keep our eyes on how he wows us, how he wows us through scripture, I don't mean just nature, even though I speak a lot about the glories of God and the things that he creates and does without us even taking a part in it. I talk a lot about that, but when we look at the whole story of redemption, you can't help but sit back and go, he did that. God did that. He wove a story that could be for our good and his glory. Only God can do that. And when we were wowed by that, not picking just one verse out of scripture and saying, that verse is so good for me today, but really going, I am cons- I am blown away by the entirety of the story of redemption that he would um, show us the depth of our need and in the same breath, provide for it. And in the same breath, sustain us in it, preserve us and persevere and keep us persevering in it. When you see that he is the author and sustainer and the finisher of our faith, you can't help but be wowed by that in all obedience and all humility and all these things that we want to see as fruit in our lives come from that. I mean, that gives us so much more motivation to obey and to realign our thinking than simply reading a book saying, this is, these are the right things to think about God. Now, we should be reading those books, absolutely. But if we're not going to the Word and going to meet with the Lord ourselves and just kind of falling at His feet and saying, I know nothing, Lord. I stand humbled and willing to just be taught by you. Like when we come humbly like that, then we really start beginning our journey of worship. Worship really is a place of behold and I'm going to be subject to him, not bringing to him all this greatness that I can say, you know, I'm worshiping you with this. Life is crazy sometimes, and finding time to sit down and read the Bible can be difficult. That is why I love Dwell. When I can't find time to read the Bible, I can listen to it. The voices reading the Bible are soothing. They're not your normal narrators. Plus, you can choose calming background music and adjust the pace of the narrator's voice to get things just right. Dwell's newest release is called Dwell Daily, a fresh, thoughtfully crafted devotional that immerses you in the Word, allowing you to pray it, meditate on it, and so much more. If you're looking to deepen your engagement with the Bible this year, Dwell Daily is worth checking out. I cannot recommend Dwell enough to help you orient your mind to the life-giving Word of God throughout your day. Go to dwellbible.com forward slash journeywomen to receive your 25% discount today. Again, that's dwellbible.com forward slash journeywomen for your 25% discount to subscribe and spend time in God's Word. Man, there's so many things I could say. I just listened to a little Devo on John Piper's podcast, Solid Joys, and he's talking about that, how God is like a mountain spring. We don't fill up God. We come and we drink from the spring and we drink until we're satisfied and then we go down into the valley and we share of what we've tasted and what we've experienced and what we've seen. And so I've just been encapsulating that as like thirsty, which I think is really similar to what you're saying, just this concept of like being thirsty 
thirsty for the living water. And then I, I was also simultaneously thinking about a little book uh, by Thomas Chalmers. Have you heard of that called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection? I have not read that. Oh, my goodness. He's talking about so how, good. yeah, basically that worldly affections are displaced through the free gospel of Christ and beholding that, like you're saying. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, I thought, I was like, this is, Ruth's book is like a really, really? accessible wow. version of this. Yes. Oh my goodness. I'll have to pick it up. Yeah. So, you know, how does the gospel redeem us from this self-idolatry and navel-gazing that we're talking about that I struggle with every single day and enable us to walk in the freedom of self-forgetfulness and actually help to reorient and shape our affections? Yeah. Well, it's, we're a daily work in progress, right? This side of heaven every single day is one where the reason why we say we have to preach the gospel to ourselves is that even though the work of redemption, the justification by faith happens in an instant, that sanctification process happens until we meet him face to face. You know, we are in this process of being transformed, as it says in 2 Corinthians 3.18, one from one degree to another into his likeness to reflect his glory. And ultimately, the way the gospel plays a part in that is that the gospel is only hope to those who recognize that they need a savior. And so every single day, I, I think about the fact that Pride comes in when your tank is really full with yourself. If you are completely full, then everything you study, every uh, every person you read, everything that you're like adding to your repertoire and understanding, that really just becomes a badge on the outside, right? If you're full up, then you're just like sticking little badges of honor in, and it just it ends up feeling like you're just decorating yourself with theology or decorating yourself with these lofty things that you're offering. But if you are not for the sake of emptying, we're not Buddhists, you know, it's not for the sake of emptying, but when you take a posture of humility and recognize, wow, I am a sinner who greatly, so desperately needs salvation. If, you, if that's like where you begin every day and recognize that you are standing, you are alive today and breathing and able to worship because God has made it possible for you, you and your rebellion to be rescued and made welcome in the household of faith. Like when that's the beginning point, then everything that you learn about God isn't decorative. It's not something that you tack on to the outside of you. It fills you up from the inside. So that's the empty tank I'm talking about. Not not this broken, empty, I'm, I'm just going to empty myself. I don't love myself. Not that, but that the love of self ends up falling in line with, I'm going to see myself the way God sees me, meaning I was created for a purpose. Sin cast me far from being able to fulfill that purpose. And because of Christ, because of the blood of Jesus, I've been redeemed and in sanctification made more in His likeness so that I can return to the original purpose that He created me for to bring glory to Him. Yes, I love that truth. And I think often what happens for me is like, I, I'm i like in my time in the Word, I'm like, yes, yes, yes. Or I'm at church. I'm like, this is so true. And then when I get into the reality of motherhood with little tiny people, I'm like seeing so much of my own sin or when I'm like writing, you know, a magazine article or something like that. And I'm wanting to do it just so perfectly and all of these things. Like I just detach the reality of like, what Christ has done for me from 
what's set before me. Does that make right. sense? Like what's right. in front of me? And so how do you practically like preach yes. the gospel to yourself? Um, the truth that you've mentioned that we've been rescued and respond with rejoicing when we've fallen into that trap of like hyper self-examination. So let's take a real practical example. You just mentioned motherhood and I know not everyone listening will be a mom, but you could definitely substitute this with something else that you're going through. But let's say your child is not is is throwing a big tantrum today. Your your little preschooler is throwing a tantrum. And your immediate response is like, poor me, why do I have to deal with this? Why can't I teach you? And like, I've already said this three times yes. and I can get nothing done. Whatever those thoughts are that's going through your head, this could be um, a similar situation at work with a coworker or feeling like something's unfair or unjust. I mean, we can think of multiple situations where you just throw up your hands and go, I don't deserve this. Like this really is, um, I mean, I'm working so hard and I'm not seeing any fruit here. Well, Hunter, like in that exact moment, if you are in Christ, then what should come to mind and you can practice this. I'm not saying it should as in naturally. I'm saying we practice this. You repeat to yourself, oh, well, Ruth, what do you actually deserve? You actually deserve (laughs) punishment for your sin because do you love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength every moment? No, you don't. Do you put put God before all else? Do you really fulfill all the things that God's called you to? No. So I really deserve Him judging me by those actions. But what has the blood of Christ brought from my life? It's caused me in this moment— not to be judged by my parenting skills, not to be judged by whether or not my kids obey. And ultimately, the joy of living in my purpose in life is not defined by whether or not I succeed or fail in this moment, but whether or not I am communing with the Holy God who put me on earth today for the very purpose of right now being a part of this child's life, right? And so I need to question whether I'm the right person to be this child's mom or whether I deserve this moment or whether I should be at the spa or parenting my child because I'm really exhausted right now. I don't have to question (laughs) that. I can say, you know what, Lord, you've given me this to do. And because of Christ, I don't get what I deserve. I get to live in the light of redemption, which means he is sanctifying Mm. every single moment. That hashtag that I I started Mm -hmm is to draw our attention to the fact that whether it is sweeping of Cheerios or putting a child on your lap and saying to him or her for the 20th time today, we don't hit and these are the consequences or whatever Mm -hmm. it is Mm -hmm. you're going through, God is using that ordinary moment to sanctify you and that child, right? To, To cause you to direct your gaze to him and the eternal purposes he has for you in that ordinary moment. So on a practical level, it's really training ourselves to see, okay, well, without the gospel, what would be what would be the end result here? The end result is I better get everything right because if I don't get it right, my life is not purposeful. I will be judged by, you know, my whole reputation, everything that makes me worthwhile will be judged by whether I do a good job here. But instead, because of Christ, our identity is no longer mm. measured by how perfectly we get everything. Instead, we get to walk in holiness in response to what's already true about us, right? And what so a gift. that freedom, that freedom changes everything in our everyday life. And I, I don't mean to sound cheesy, but it really does 
change the way we do our dishes. It really does change the way we take our car to the repair shop. No, it's not that every moment needs to be like, wow, I give thanks. I am such a holy person that thinks about, you know, uh, car repairs in such a holy manner. But no, we stop and think, wow, why am I grateful today? What is it that because of redemption, the things on on earth that need to be repaired, that's temporary. Mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. the true, we are being made into new creations because of Christ. So I can look at my temporary need to fix things as just a reminder that He's done a holy work and bringing all things to newness of life in Him. So it just changes our perspective and changes our gaze that we're not looking at the circumstance for what they are. We're looking at every circumstance as an opportunity to see how He is doing eternal things starting right now. Mm, Yes, I absolutely love this reminder. And, uh, you know, Ruth, as I think through this in the closet, I'm like, Amen. Yes, let's go get them. But then, like, as my day fleshes out, it gets really hard. And then there's seasons where it just feels like super long and really difficult, you know, like just different things going on in life and the realities of the broken world that we live in. So how do we stay the course when things just feel really discouraging and when it when it just feels like it's getting so the journey feels so long and the end feels out of sight. Yeah. Have you ever noticed that when you're driving along and you see something, maybe a busted tire or something in the middle of the road? And I don't know if this is a good analogy or not, but you know how when you're driving along and you're saying, oh, I don't it, it will damage my car if I drive over that. But if you keep focusing on it, you inevitably end up driving right over the thing that you're trying to avoid. <laughs> Right. I think about sometimes how when we're feeling stalled or exhausted or weary or having a hard time um, getting through our days because of the mundane work or the, the endless waiting for an answer from the Lord about something or just when we're failing to make the progress we want to make. I, I really find that just on a practical level, I have to set my eyes on something other than my immediate circumstance. So it's just like that tire in the road. Like I keep going, you know, why am I stuck? Well, it's because I only look at one thing and I fixate that one on that one thing. And if you ever think about it, um, the Lord actually has given us a lot to look at every single day. And he starts by calling the day to order with the sunrise. Mm-hmm. And I think as simple as it is, and I don't mean to be cheesy about it, but as simple as it is, if we were to start our day off just observing all the ways He is faithful and He brings the day to order with the sunrise, it it's kind of startling how much that puts us in our place and goes, I, I have nothing to do with Him being faithful today. He is faithful. And so, for example, just setting our eyes on that or sometimes just... Um, I remember as a young mom with littles in the home, sometimes just going on a walk where we say, okay, for the next 30 minutes, we are going to call out every single thing we see that God is more creative than that video game, more creative than Mm. that movie we watched. He is so creative. We're going to point it out. Everybody's going to point it out. And when my kids and I have done that, we notice things. We notice things that have been there all along, but we just fail to see so many ways he is sustaining. He's faithful. He causes, yeah, he causes everything from the stars to come out at night to um, those those butterflies 
um, transforming right before our eyes and we don't even know. So that's why the book is filled with so much nature. And so I, I wanted it to be so extravagantly beautiful because I do think that we're so quick and in the information age to just try to get the quick, immediate takeaway from right. something rather than sit and linger long on how beautiful his creation is and how much he's doing in our own lives. I mean, when you count up his mercies in your own life, you almost can't help but give praise because, you know, it's not just counting your blessings, but to really go back and say, I see this work that you've done in my life. I see this work that you've done in my husband's life, in my child's life. I see the way you're transforming me from six months ago to now. Even that exhortation, like for me as a mother, just to take the kids out and go on a walk and what an opportunity that is to welcome them alongside you in worship. Because I think a lot of times I can be up in my head and I just constantly am reminding myself like, hey, I don't have to like detach myself from my kids to worship God. Like this is an opportunity that we have a, as a family to collectively worship God together. And what a cool practice um, to do that, a way by which to do that as a family. I see you guys doing that on Instagram a lot, just like the little snippets that you share of y'all like going out and experiencing creation and things like that. And as you were talking, I was absolutely thinking of those beautiful butterflies that you drew in the book. They're just absolutely mm -hmm. wonderful. So I don't know if you have prints available of those, but I just think even like, yep. a, 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 <laughs> do you? <laughs> well, like, good. Everything from the book will end up being available, but yeah, you know, there's, that's the whole goal of everything I paint and write is ultimately to just say, this is just just a representation of everything God has done. And, you know, for those of us who maybe you have a listener who's like in the concrete jungle and there's not like a ton of nature around her, and maybe she's not feeling like she could step outside and see um, flowers <laughs> yeah. all in bloom. Well, here's the thing. Beholding isn't just, yeah. I mean, I, I promise the sky is outside. So like step outside, take a look <laughs> up. And so we all get access to the sky. sky. We all get access to sunrise, sunsets, stars. Um, we all get access to that. But you know what? Sometimes beholding can happen within our homes by, for example, reading a biography, for example, of um, somebody who's gone before us, reading mm -hmm. a George Mueller biography or reading about, we just got done reading about John Knox, for example. And And, you know, I'm not saying that, it's, that's the tone that every home needs to have. But I know that sometimes we turn to entertainment and diversions as a way to numb ourselves rather than to open our eyes, right? Yeah. We're kind of like, I just want to close my eyes and rest a little. That's the way we treat scrolling on right. Facebook or watching a movie. That's a way to like chill out and stop observing. Honestly, that's really the way yeah. it is. Instead, what I'm saying is maybe the thing that you're really aching for, maybe the solution and the the um, the balm that you're really needing right now is not to close your eyes and fall asleep, but to stay more awake and behold better. And that beholding may mean that you go and listen to amazing music that you say, wow, did Bach really write that? And how did God gift somebody with that kind of talent and ability? Yes. So I'm not just saying it's all about nature or you don't have to become a kayaker. <laughs> there are so many ways in which God displays his grandness and his creativity and wooing us to himself saying, you don't be so impressed with you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> be impressed mm -hmm. and be of me. And ultimately that's displayed in the living word, and that's displayed in the word of God. But we, as worshipers, 
we can just we can read the words on the page, but we also need to experience who he's showing himself to be in all these other ways as well. Mm-hmm. One of the things I respect so much about you, Ruth, is that you just mentioned like the social media piece can be such a struggle and there's such a temptation to, you know, scroll and to self-medicate like just by looking at the lives of others. Yeah. Uh, and I love that despite that struggle, you continue to be present and engage with culture through technology. It seems as though without giving way to self-idolatry, I know that you still have moments of struggle. Of course. But how does the presence of social media exaggerate our self-focus? And then how do you actually engage with culture in that capacity while not giving way to self-idolatry, self-obsession, and just a desire for power? Well, you know, that is a very, very good question that's framed in a really honest um, way, because the reality is, as believers, we are not exempt from self-obsession and idolatry. And I recognize that every single day that I work and play, but I work on Instagram and on social media, every day is that is an opportunity for me to either grow in my awareness of God's work or grow obsessed about my own. And so, so everything from I do feel like I have to put up some boundaries in my life and that doesn't look neat and tidy. I am not one of those people that's like, you will only find me on Instagram from the hours of, I mean, some it works for some people, but for me with the business, sometimes there are seasons where I'm on a little bit more than I want to be. And then times where I'm like gone and I just check out. And so um, I am not somebody who can set the example for if you want a perfect you know, routine and the hours that your phone goes off. That's not exactly the way I do it, but I am somebody who asks myself a lot of questions. I spend a lot of time asking myself, what's elevating your blood pressure right now? Why are you feeling stressed about that? When I get a DM from somebody who is unkind, which I do get those, I do get messages sometimes from people who criticize or some for some people who misunderstand my heart about something. And does it crush me? Yeah, at times it really does. And, it, and I take it personally. Mm-hmm. And then I have to stop and say, are my hands open or closed here? You know, is this really about me? Because if it's about me, then I will cling really tightly to every follower. I'll be like, don't go, don't go. Or I'll be like, you know, do you still like me? Are, are you, am I yeah. getting enough likes? Which is not to say I'm impervious to those feelings. I absolutely in my 40s still struggle with that. But I will say to all the younger listeners on here today, I would say determine now where your identity comes from. Determine now where you're going to get your self-worth and determine now whose image you're bearing, your own or Christ's. Mm. Because if you truly believe that you were created to be an image bearer, then it frees you up. It doesn't matter whether your medium is social media or your medium is the local, you know, through the local church or um, wherever it is, like through art or through through a podcast or on a stage with a microphone or at your kitchen table, which I write about. Whatever the medium God's given you to use, whatever the tools are, you'll realize that it really won't matter what where the applause comes from because you only are looking to one for that. And I I know that it sounds simple as Christians to say, you know, my audience is is just Jesus alone, but it really is true. And I think that if you can every day remind yourself of that truth and realign yourself with where that audience and where that approval comes from, 
then you can engage in technology and social media better. Because one of the main things that's going on in social media and in, through technology is that everybody is weighing in on everything all the time. Yeah. And there are arguments happening even on really in, intelligent conversations. But I firmly believe that believers do not need to weigh in on every single topic at all times because I, for one, don't feel like I really should be saying anything on things that I'm still learning and listening in on. I don't need to air every feeling that I have about everything. It's quite frankly, we do more good when we invite somebody out to coffee and sit down and have a genuine conversation about something than if we get on Twitter and air it all out. <laughs> so with that said, there's a responsibility, there's an accountability to say or don't say online. And I think that as believers, just because we want to be a strong testimony or a good witness, just because we have a message doesn't mean that message is always timed for right the second with this exact audience. We have to be wise about when we say things and when we don't. And I think all that ultimately, the filter, if we're going to use the word filter, <laughs> is that I always stop and go, who does this make much of right now? If I say this, if I do this, is this making much of me or is this making much of Christ? And no, I don't do it perfectly. I never do it perfectly. But I will say, if I can just ask myself a few simple questions every single time, I say something online, I post something, I want to start something new, you know, who does this make much of? Is this going to increase my infection for God? Is this going to cause me to be a little bit more anxious about myself? Because it really is anxiety over self or freedom for Christ. Right? Mm -hmm. Really back and forth between those things. I'm either beating fast, like, ha, 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 you know, am I am I nailing it on these things? Or I am freed up to say, ooh, does God get the glory from this? And there's freedom there and anxiety somewhere else. I'm just curious, how do you walk forward in that freedom on a day-to-day -day basis, Ruth? Like, what does it look like for you to really guard your heart's devotion to Jesus and to really protect when you have all these images, all these things coming at us, everything, you know, or when you're so tempted just to fixate on yourself? How do you behold God in His glory? <laughs> well, I think, you know, in this part of our conversation specifically relating to the draw of online images, the draw of feeling the sense of self-aggrandizement online, I'd say one of our greatest sources of guarding and protection and is really to do as we're told to do in scripture and love the local church and be um, in community with those in our midst. And so, um, Let's not be a generation of women who find all our fuel and all our teaching and all our encouragement only online. Hunter, you and I minister online and praise God for that. Mm -hmm. We need to speak into nap times and lonely places where women are going through a season where they're not getting sound teaching or they're struggling to have community. But the end result is to walk alongside somebody who's going to come over and fold laundry with you, who chop vegetables mm -hmm. with you. And who, um, you know, as we serve up dinner and, you know, wipe down the table from all the sticky stuff, we can talk about walking with Christ. And I think when we do that, it actually does allow us to 
stop obsessing about ourselves because that's our real selves, right? We are wiping stick. Everybody has sticky tables and everybody's wiping them down and everybody has to say, um, wow, today, these are the areas that I need to just confess before the Lord. I I need some help here. And those are- I surrender all. (laughs) Right. And a lot of times those don't come out on social media as easily. And and nor should they have to. Like, we don't need to give a play-by-play of every moment of our lives to be genuine. But that's why the call is to be locally invested with people right your neighbors right around you in the local church. So I think that's one great protection, whether you are somebody who you know has 200 followers or 200,000. I think it's important for us to recognize that our greatest investment is first and foremost to those people in your home, right? So if you are a parent, your first mission field is to your children and to your spouse. Um, and then immediately directly to those that God's brought around you. So you got to assess What's my sphere of influence? Who has the Lord brought before me? And that could even be the barista at your favorite coffee shop that you work at every every week, right? So whoever it is, take notice, not just of who's following you, but who the Lord's brought into your life in a real and, and tangible way. Mm-hmm. Man, I love how you just kind of described that when we truly are walking in self-forgetfulness and when we are beholding God and His beauty, it just enables us to go forth on mission. Like I was talking about earlier, just drinking from the spring and then going down into the valley um, and to proclaim what we've experienced. And that just, that really excites me. Um, do you have any recommended resources for somebody who wants to walk in the freedom of self-forgetfulness. I obviously have already recommended and will continue to wholeheartedly Mm -hmm. recommend your book, um, Beholding and Becoming, because I think it's a really uh, potent help and it's really accessible. So do you have anything else that you'd recommend? Yeah, sure. Um, I have not finished the whole book, but Tim Keller's, of course, Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness is a great um, shorter read. Two other short reads that I would recommend. And I don't know if they're common to folks or not, but um, Joseph S. Carroll wrote a book called How to Worship Jesus Christ. And it's short, it's a little obscure, but I love it because it just realigns my mind and my thinking to um, the worship of Christ not the worship of self. And um, A.W. Tozer's The Pursuit of God. Yes, I love that book. I mean, at the end of the day, wouldn't you say, if we want to... Um, learn the art of self-forgetfulness, we really just need to learn the art of being in awe of God, right? The the more we're in awe of Him, the less room we have to make (laughs) an idol of ourselves. So the the way we do that is not just to say, oh, I don't like myself or I don't want to think about myself. No, just think on God. Just think on Him. Make a study of how great He is. And before you know it, you're just not really that impressed with yourself anymore, yep. you know, and it um, and worship falls more in line with not a duty, but a response yep. to his greatness. Yeah, a delight. Absolutely. Well, what's one piece of advice that you would offer your 25-year-old self? I love that you're already talking to us, like, mm-hmm. at where we're at. Um, but if you could just sit across the table from yeah. yourself at the age of 25, what would you just kind of lovingly exhort yourself towards? Mm, I love that question. I When I was t- 25, I thought that I had about five years to establish everything I want to do, 
I, I mean, I was like, I want to have the family I want to have. I want the career that I, I mean, it has sure, to Sure, they like now. trained us that in college. Yes. Like, what's your five-year goals? <laughs> and here's the thing, Hunter, even more so now, I speak at conferences all the time where I'm meeting women in their late 20s who literally think that they're behind if they haven't started a nonprofit or gained a platform or started a YouTube channel or made, you know, they feel like they're behind if they don't have a full-blown ministry in which they're sharing something they learned a year ago. I mean, is that hilarious? I mean, it is so funny (laughs) to me, um, sadly, right? But it's funny to me, and I'm not mocking. I'm simply saying we are living in an age where everybody feels like they have to be an expert. If they experienced it six months ago, they should be teaching it now. And my my exhortation here is that sanctification is a long and slow process. We are <laughs> godliness and growing into the likeness of Christ is not a microwave process. It is not going to happen just because you read that one book yes. and you did a six week study, or that you just signed up and and stopped doing this one thing for six weeks, and now you need to start a whole ministry based on that. If God leads you that way, I am not going to tell you to not go that direction, but I will say there's so much wisdom and safety and care that goes into loving long the Lord for who He is without trying to reproduce that for somebody else. Because it is so easy to want to regurgitate something that you're learning just so that you can teach it to somebody else when really the Lord's like, Look at me, focus on me. And so one of the things I would tell my 25-year-old self or any 25-year-old listening right now is that the Lord does more in the hidden years than he does when you've got a big old stage. And so love the hidden years, love the years that you're not sure what you're learning those things for, why you're journaling endless pages in your journal. What is that for even? Stop thinking about it like, will this become a book one day? No, stop thinking about it like that. Will this turn into a podcast? Do I have a huge ministry out for me? Am I supposed to this, that, and the other? Rather than thinking about what you're going to do for God, delight in knowing Him and just be so grateful that He's pursuing you. Because ladies, in your 20s, fall in love with Jesus because you know what? No husband will ever will ever satisfy like Jesus will. Mm-hmm, no mm-hmm. children and successfully God-fearing, academically astounding children will ever take the place of your identity in Christ. No career, no ministry, no booming business, no acclaimed organization that you can start will ever, ever fulfill you like knowing Jesus. And so in your 20s, get that. Get that Mm. in place. Go to Him when you're hurting. Go to Him when you're waiting. Go to Him when you feel like you don't know where your identity comes from. Go to Him because there's time in your 30s and in your 40s. Um, I tell my kids all the time, guys, life will get harder. Um, And I wish I didn't have to say that, but life's turns will actually get harder. So decide now how you want to grieve, how you want to rejoice, how you want to celebrate, where you turn when you want affirmation. Decide now how you want to approach those things because there will be ample opportunities in the future to um, redirect your gaze. And so make make beholding an art now and um, behold wisely now because you're training your eyes to see, you're training your heart's affections to um, be pointed in a certain direction. 
Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. That's all I can say. That's just so precious, Ruth. And um, I feel that. And I just, I feel like, again, yet again, you have just breathed life um, into me. And I'm just really, really grateful. So I'd love to hear what is something that you're looking forward to in your journey with Jesus? We've kind of looked back on what you would say to yourself and your younger years. What's something that you're look, looking forward to either in the near or distant future in your journey with Jesus? I don't know if this is going to be a really weird way to say this, but um, in my 40s, I've had a few more health scares, a few more tests. You know, nothing is wrong, but. Um, you start seeing life a little bit differently when you have to go in for blood work and you just experience um, friends who wrestle with chronic illness, um, cancer. And there's just a lot of things that I was not thinking about in my 20s. Totally. And in my 40s now with six children, I feel the weight of those things a lot more than I ever have. And uh, kind of a constant prayer for me in my, as I look to the second half, if you will, um, if the psalmist talks about 80 years, um, when I'm looking at the second half of my life with the Lord, should He choose to give me the next 40, I look forward to being equipped for what He calls me to in this area of suffering. I don't want it. I don't want suffering. Hunter, I, I'm scared to even say these words out loud because— mm. You know, I don't, I don't want cancer. I don't want suffering. I don't want my kids to wrestle with watching a mom have any issues, mm -hmm. right? But as I'm coming into these years where I know that um, just things come up and it, the reality is I'm taking a lot more tests than I ever have about for lots of different things that are going on in my body that I'm not just hoping that I'll respond right. I am pursuing the right response. So when I say to a 20-some-year-old, decide now how you want to grieve. It's because my husband, Troy, said to me after pastoring and, and walking families through loss of children and, and bitter losses, he said to me, babe, let's, let's decide now how we want to mourn and grieve. And I, and I hate that topic, honestly. Like, I don't even want to talk about it. Like, mm. So I, I hate to bring that up here towards the end of our, our talk here. But I guess if I were to be honest, I would just say, my number one desire for the next 40 years is not to see how God will grow my ministry or <laughs> elevate mm. me. I actually just want to find myself faithful should suffering and loss come my way because it's it's happening more and more around me. And if I were to be honest with your audience, it's that that's kind of a sensitive, tender frontier for me. It's a little bit more scary when you're a mom of six. And so, uh, so that's that's the battleground for me right now in my um, in my mid forties. Is that's that's the battleground is to give my thoughts um, over to the Lord about and fears over to the Lord about suffering, about health, about longevity, about being there when my kids um, graduate and walk down the aisle. Those kinds of things, um, things that I wasn't thinking about when I was graduating college, but I think about now. So, so that's what I'm looking. For to because I believe wholeheartedly, Hunter, I believe that he his callings are his enablings. Mm -hmm. He will equip us for what he calls us to. And so should I be called to suffer, I believe that he will equip me for that. But I'm also saying 
I believe, help my unbelief, Lord. And Mm -hmm, so that's mm -hmm. the battleground for me these days. Mm, Well, I'd love that admonition to decide how we want to grieve. And I think for me, I'm walking away from this conversation determined and and deciding that I want my days to be characterized by beholding the beauty of God. And I thank you so much for exhorting us to that end. Thank you for joining us on the Journey Women podcast again, Ruth. As always, it's been a joy to have you on the show. Thank you, Hunter. It's been a blessing to be here. You know what? This conversation encouraged me to press into knowing God, and we really hope that it did that for you too. May we walk with our gaze ever fixed on Him. If you enjoyed hearing from Ruth like I did, I highly recommend checking out her book, Beholding and Becoming, which you can find linked along with other helpful stuff like discussion questions and recommended resources from this episode over in the show notes at journeywomenpodcast.com. Hey, don't forget, this is part of a series called Living in Light of Redemption. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast so you don't miss next week's episode on perfectionism with my friends, Emily Jensen and Laura Wiffler of the Risen Motherhood team. As always, you guys can connect with us throughout the week over at Journey Women Podcast on Instagram or Facebook. So you know, this episode was edited by Chris Mann and the Pod Shaper team. It's a joy to get to journey alongside you guys. I can't wait to see you here next Monday. Have a great week. Bye.